0: And I'm Sam. And And we're we're just here to cause chaos. See, this time I didn't slow down. I
1: know, I'm really proud of you.
0: But you were with me.
1: What? I was with you the whole time. That's the best we've ever done it.
0: Maybe there's a delay in my audio. (laughs) Okay. That would explain so much. That would
1: explain a lot, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, we really shouldn't be trying to sync up saying things on a Zoom.
0: Yeah, we're doing our best.
1: <laughs>
0: Alright, Sam. Guess who we're learning about this week? Who? It's Ella Fitzgerald.
1: Ooh, fun.
0: Yes, after mentioning her briefly with Marilyn Monroe's episode, now we're, we're getting into the juicy stuff.
1: Oh, good times. I like her. She had a really good voice. She did. Don't know too much about her life, but I... have had an old recording of hers when I was younger that was really good.
0: I'd like to see if we could find some way to put the songs in the podcast, but that seems like that breaks every copyright law.
1: Well, you know whose job it is to figure that out.
0: Oh no! <sighs> Why do I do this to myself? Producer
1: of our podcast, <laughs> Ellen Dobo. <laughs>
0: uh. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta stop doing this to myself. Anyway! <laughs> Ella Fitzgerald! Known as the First Lady of Song, the Queen of Jazz, and Lady Ella. All cool names.
1: Those are some cool names.
0: Yeah, I want cool names. Anyway.
1: Double Arigato.
0: Oh no, not this. <laughs> stop referencing my parents' love of 80s music.
1: Mmm. Anyway. There's, a, there's a sign outside of Ellen's house that just says Dobo Arigato. Dobo, 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 Dobo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How else will you know who lives there?
1: The Dobos. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. Now, Ella Fitzgerald was born on April 25th, 1917 in Newport News, Virginia. Ooh. Ooh. She was the daughter of William Fitzgerald And Temperance, also known as Tempe, Henry. So that's fun.
1: Yeah, parents.
0: Parents were not married, but they lived together for like two years. Scandalous. I know. But then they broke up. And her mom started dating this Portuguese immigrant named Joseph da Silva. And they moved to Yonkers, New York. So Joe, his job was digging ditches. I think that's an actual job, not just, like, something that people would say is, like, fake work. I don't know.
1: I'm- no, ditch digger is, like, a profession.
0: Why are there need to be so many ditches?
1: I mean, that's how you, like, had drainage and sewage before, like, modern plumbing. God, the past was wild. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: anyway her mom worked at a laundromat so that's also cool she had a half sister named Frances da silva who was born in 1923 okay yeah so ella also contributed to the family income by working as a runner for gamblers
1: oh that's a fun job for a child yeah yeah
0: so the website ella fitzgerald's official website said that she was perhaps naïve to the circumstances. (laughs) But I'm gonna headcanon that she definitely knew what the circumstances were.
1: Yeah, I feel like some part of you gotta know. Yeah, and then- well, Because then it moved on and she
0: talked about how she was excellent at school, she was very bright, so she knew. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She was also very shy. And she never grew out of that, but whenever she was on stage, she just, she loved the spotlight. So, you know, probably that introvert-extrovert thing. Okay, what are we doing here? Oh, yeah. By third grade, she was already interested in singing and dancing, which is cool. And she was a fan of this dude named Earl Snakehips Tucker. No. yeah, Is
1: the Snakehips in, like, quotations? Like, that was his yes. name? Yes. That was his stage name. Like, yo, Snake Hips, come over here.
0: <laughs> he was also known as the Human Boa Constrictor, and he was, like, this very famous dancer.
1: So, did he just, like, squeeze people? Like, what? I, I got questions on this name. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I need more information I here. think he
0: moved- Okay, so you know those Indian snake charmers? Yeah. I think he moved like
1: that. Okay, but you said boa constrictor.
0: Maybe he was really good at hugs. I don't know. (laughs) So there's that. (laughs) She also went to church. And, you know, church has music. So that's something. And she started listening to jazz. Ooh. Ooh,
1: the devil's music.
0: Yes. (laughs) So... Also, oh, do you know another name for weed is Jazz Cabbage?
1: I did know that. (laughs) Anyway. Fun facts here on the Chaos Cast.
0: (laughs) We we know about a variety of topics. (laughs) Anyway, she listened to, you know, Louis Armstrong, Bing Crosby, and the Boswell Sisters... Uh, she really liked the Boswell sisters, especially the lead singer, Connie Boswell. And she like, started to model her sound after... You know, this- after Connie. So, very influential in her style. But then, tragedy strikes.
1: <laughs>
0: her mom died in a car crash when Ella was 15. So, not great.
1: Sad. They always have like tragic mother figures.
0: They do. What's up with that? Ugh. So she lived with her stepfather, you know, the Joe guy, for a hot minute and then immediately left to go live with her aunt and no one's really sure why she left so quickly. Uh, I saw some sources said that she might have been abused and other sources was like, no, no, they were very close but he couldn't take care of her i don't know
1: yeah she might have just been sad and wanted a like female figure in her life. yeah
0: well she was definitely sad because then she had a tumultuous adolescence as it was described where she was skipping school she started officially working for the mafia as a lookout for a brothel oh okay yeah (laughs) Now, this was also. Actually, never mind. Anyway, so she was. Now
1: you gotta tell me.
0: So, this is a 16 year old unsupervised girl working as a lookout for a brothel. Do you really think she was just the lookout?
1: I mean, that is not for us to assume. No, it is not. Also, no shame.
0: Do what you gotta do, girl.
1: Yeah. Sex work is work.
0: But eventually, the police caught up with her. And she was placed in the Colored Orphan <laughs> Asylum.
1: That's it a bad name for anything. that. That is an <laughs> uncomfortable name for literally anything. I know.
0: <laughs> I looked it up. This thing was, like, open until the 40s. Oh, no. Which, uh. But, and then... The orphanage was too crowded. So she had to move to the New York training school for girls' state reformery school. I don't know. Is that like juvie? I think so. Something like that. Oh god. They just kind of wanted her out of the orphanage.
1: I mean, she was like 16 at this point. I feel like she's better off on her own. Well, kind of.
0: Because by 17 she was she started to you know enter the world of entertainment including she performed at this amateur night at the apollo theater and Ooh, this that's is a where, famous theater it is this is where she gets her break so she was gonna dance but the edward sisters were up there dancing and ella was like quote they were the dancingest sisters around <laughs>
1: I don't even know that's a compliment.
0: It was. I mean, she was too intimidated to dance. So she got up there and just sang. She sang Judy and the object of my affection. And she won first prize. Yay! She was also supposed to have the chance to perform at the Apollo for a week. But because of her disheveled appearance, the theater never gave her that part of the prize.
1: Disheveled? Yeah. That is some dog whistle racism right there. Yep. (laughs) We do not approve. Zero out of ten. Would not recommend.
0: But from there on, she started performing in every talent show she could enter. She performed in the Harlem Opera House and met Chick Webb, who's important. And... So, he apparently had mixed feelings about her. He was worried that she was, quote, gaudy and um unkempt. (laughs) But also thought that she was, quote, a diamond in the rough. So, yeah, so he... There was some complicated mess where he wanted a singer for his band, but he'd already hired a male singer, but he was able to hire her anyway. You know, band politics. But... (laughs) In the end, he signs her to his orchestra, and they're recording some songs, she gets a few hits, like Love and Kisses, but her first big hit was A Tisket A Tasket, which is, you know, she sings the nursery rhyme brilliantly, and it was critically acclaimed, one of the best-selling records of the decade, and she was only 21 years old when she did that. Wow. Good for her. Yeah. So she's already, like, a national star. So then, Webb dies on June 16th, 1939. Oh no. just, the more we do this, the more parallels you kind of (laughs) see with Marilyn
1: Monroe's life. Well, you just like Marilyn Monroe and want to see parallels. No, they were both... (laughs) Oh, you mean in this story particularly cuz I was like you've you've mentioned her quite a few times in the preceding weeks.
0: They <laughs> <laughs> Similar lives, you know? Rough upbringing, lost their mother, their mentor dies pretty early on.
1: No, to this story in particular, I agree. I just also think you've mentioned Marilyn Rowe a lot of times in the last couple
0: weeks. Yeah, cuz she's awesome.
1: Anyway, <laughs> so after
0: he was dead, the band was renamed Ella and Her Famous Orchestra. So wow. You became band leader. Good for her.
1: That's actually really impressive.
0: Yeah. It was apparently also pretty stressful, but, you know, still, good on her.
1: Why do I feel like drugs are going to become a thing in this story? Actually, they don't come up too much. Really? Yeah. She does
0: have her little rebellious phase. so she marries this dude named Benny Cornegay. He's a local dock worker. She then learns that he had a criminal record, he was a convicted drug dealer. And they immediately got an old. So... I guess her stress relief was marrying someone and then unmarrying him.
1: (laughs) That seems more (laughs) stressful.
0: Yeah. But then she went back to, you know, recording over 150 songs with her orchestra. Okay. Yeah. She was also working with the Benny Goodman orchestra and the, her side project Ella and her Savoy 8. So that's cool. So this was going on. Unfortunately, there was some dissent and money issues and Ella and her famous orchestra breaks up in July
1: 1942. Oh, sad. It's-
0: It's okay, she'll be alright. So Ella starts working for Decca Records, which is, you know, a record company. And she starts performing at this concert series, Jazz at the Philharmonic, which is pretty big. And it's run by this dude named Norman Granz, and he's like, yes. So he becomes her manager, and from then on they're making history. Oh, and another thing, Norman Granz took absolutely no racism. He was not here for it. Good! We stand. (laughs) Yeah, he was a brilliant ally. So, first off, the Philharmonic tour would specifically go to, like, segregated venues and say, Ah, you can't have segregated- you can't be segregated for our show. And most of the time they'd be like, well, we do like these. This is a pretty big show. So they would agree to that. Wow. And he ensured that Ella Fitzgerald always received equal pay and accommodations regardless of her sex and race. And if, Good for him. Yeah. And if any of these conditions were not met, just cancel the show. We stand hard. We do. Good guy.
1: Also, imagine being, like, famous enough that they would rather have you than, like, racism. Yeah. That's that's real famous. People really like their racism.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's nice in these stories where fame beats out racism. Yeah. It's rare. (laughs) So, Ella was also really big into civil rights. You know, kind of for obvious reasons. (laughs) pretty big effect on her life.
1: Oh, really? Are you sure?
0: Just a little bit. Just a little bit? Yeah, so it's around this time that the end of the swing era and big band touring is happening. So Ella, you know, she has to change with the times.
1: Get with it, Ella.
0: Yeah, exactly. But it's the beginning of the bebop style of jazz. (laughs) Ooh.
1: Sorry, the way you just said that was really funny.
0: <laughs> so, bebop jazz is characterized... <laughs> I don't know why I find the way you say bebop really funny. We're we gonna do this every time. It comes up relatively often.
1: Nah, I got this. I'll, I, can, I can get this. Let's go. Say it again.
0: <laughs> bebop
1: jazz is
0: characterized by a fast tempo, complex chord progressions, and improvisation which is code for scatting, which Ella is good at. <laughs> Stop giggling. This is a serious <laughs> podcast. No it's not. <laughs>
1: it's absolutely not, but still. <laughs> you just you accent the words bebop and scat it's so funny. <laughs> I can't explain it. <laughs> okay. So,
0: she's working with Dizzy Gillespie, who is also very famous. And she began to be known for her scat singing. She, quote, "...just tried to do with her voice what she heard the horns in the band doing." And she had this 1945 recording of Flying Home, where the New York Times called it, "...one of the most influential vocal jazz records of the decade." Where other singers, most notably Louis Armstrong, had tried similar improvisations, no one before Miss Fitzgerald employed the technique with such dazzling inventiveness. Hey Ellen. Yeah.
1: You wanna demonstrate scatting?
0: Should we do bopa dop boop I
1: didn't think you'd actually do it. Oh my god.
0: Unfortunately, Every time I think of Scat, I think of the song from Tarzan, where they just... Ooh, that's
1: a good one.
0: Yeah, they just go around hitting the human stuff in the camp.
1: (laughs) God, Tarzan... Phil Collins, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, side note. The reason
0: they had to put that song in there was they had promised the actress who plays, you know, Tarzan's friend, that monkey... That she could sing a song. And then they realized that, oh wait, we already told Phil Collins he could do all the songs. So they <laughs> gave her that. Anyway, another hit in her repertoire was "Oh, Lady Be Good," which was met with like similar reception.
1: It was Rosie O'Donnell.
0: That one. Oh, she's famous.
1: Yeah, Didn't she get canceled?
0: That was Roseanne.
1: Oh, you're right. Sorry.
0: Yeah, she she did the Tylenol, which made her racist.
1: I probably should know what you're talking about, but I don't. Just keep going. We're gonna keep going.
0: (laughs) Oh, here's a side note about racism. So one time, (laughs) while they were in Dallas touring with the Philharmonic, a police squad was irritated by the show and went backstage to hassle the performers. And they rude. came into Ella's dressing room where band members Dizzy Gillespie and Illinois Jacquet were shooting dice and they just arrested everybody. Cuz of course they Bro. did. Yeah.
1: That is like very rude.
0: Mhm. They took us down, Ella later recalled, and when we got there, they had the nerve to ask for an autograph. No. Yes. Ah. Uh.
1: What a bunch of poop faces!
0: I know, you know that on um, that scene in Falcon and the Winter Soldier where the bank dude like denies his loan. Yes. Yeah. Like. Oh my that, god. But yes. so much worse.
1: Or like that scene in Falcon and the Winter Soldier where the cops like start harassing him, and Bucky's like, "Do you know who you're talking to?" And they're like, "Oh wait, sorry, dude, we did not know it was you." And I'm like, "That doesn't make it better."
0: Yeah. No. That's a good show.
1: It was a really good show.
0: Oh, but in happier news, it's around this time that Ella meets bassist Ray Brown and they fall in love. Oh, and they get married.
1: Oh, and this one lasts a little longer, I'm assuming.
0: It lasts longer than the first one.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I meant.
0: Yeah, and they adopted a son named Ray Brown Jr. And he was Aww. Yeah. And he was actually the biological son of her half sister, Frances.
1: Oh, yeah. Why why didn't Frances want it? I don't know, but
0: like things quickly became a bit strained within this relationship. They were both touring like unreal hours. Uh, At one point, it said that Ella was touring forty to forty-five weeks out of the year, and there's only fifty-two weeks in the the year. All the weeks. I know. (laughs) So after 6 years by 1952 she and Ray Brown divorced but they still remained friends and they still performed together sometimes.
1: And what about the son?
0: So the son they, she kind of had a strained relationship with him cuz you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: he kept his parents kept being gone performing and he was like stuck with one of, one of the aunts so that wasn't ideal, but they did- he did reconcile with his mom later in life and recognize that, you know, she was- it wasn't about him, it was about this whole thing, and you know, they get- they get along later. Okay. Yeah, but other notable things in the music career. There was a tour of Australia that was this huge hit, however, there was racism that caused her to miss the first two concerts and they had to like reschedule those two concerts at the very end of the show so here's what, what happened, happened. here okay. I'm, I'm gonna tell you
1: well you paused as if you were moving on to the next thing and i was like wait i, I need another detail <laughs> no no we're, we're getting into the story so okay four members of
0: fitzgerald's entourage so we had fitzgerald her pianist john lewis and her assistant who was also her cousin Uh, Georgina Henry and her manager, Norman Grants, they all all had first-class tickets on their flight from Honolulu to Australia. But they were ordered to leave the aircraft after they'd already boarded, and they weren't even allowed to get their luggage and clothing. So they were just stranded in Honolulu for three days before they could actually get another flight to Sydney. What? Yeah. And it was absolutely racism-based. And they actually filed a civil suit for racial discrimination against the airline Pan Am in December 1954. Fitzgerald confirmed that they won the suit and she received what she described as a nice settlement. So that's good.
1: That is nice.
0: Yeah, always nice when we get money from racists. So she left her record company DECA and Grants created a new record company Verve Records around her. So that's how you know she's made it big, where she can have basically her own the her record company where she's the front line.
1: Yeah, that is pretty impressive.
0: Mhm. And so around this time she begins her songbook series, which is part, partially just a way to do things other than the bebop. Cuz, you know, I'm sure that gets old after a while. But Are you from- sure you don't want
1: to do it again for us?
0: It's like that.
1: I am the next Ella Fitzgerald. How many times do I think I can get you to do that in this episode?
0: Sam, do you want to demonstrate some jazz step No, ske- I don't. <laughs> Coward. So... From 1956 to 1964, she was recording covers of other musicians' albums, including Cole Porter, Duke Ellington, The Gershwins, Johnny Mercer, Irving Berlin, and Rogers and Hart. And this was wildly popular, both with, like, her fans, and with the artists she covered. There's a great quote from one of the artists, Ira Gershwin, where she's like, I never knew how good our songs were until I heard Ella Fitzgerald (laughs) sing them. (laughs) Oh my god, that's precious. I know. (laughs) Oh, it's also around this time that we have the interaction with Marilyn Monroe. So March 15th, 1955, the Macombo Nightclub in Hollywood. Marilyn, you know, calls them and says, please let Ella Fitzgerald sing. And if you do that, I'll be at the front row and you can take all the pictures of me you want. And, you know, they become friends and they remain friends up to the end of Marilyn's life, which is lovely.
1: Oh my God, it's like a crossover event for our (laughs) podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) History, baby. Oh, and this was fantastic for Ella's career. She never had to play a small club again.
1: Which I mean pretty awesome. When you got Marilyn Monroe personally calling in favors on your behalf, like you Exactly. Uh, and
0: Ella had only nice things to say about Marilyn. Uh she even said once she <laughs> was ahead of her time and she didn't even know it.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right for Marilyn. Mm-hmm. Now, she wasn't
0: actually the first African-American singer of Macombone, but she was, you know, one of the most influential. Yeah. It's kind of like that thing where, technically, the kiss on Star Trek wasn't the first interracial kiss on TV. But, you know, it was the first one that mattered. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, one of the biggest songbooks that she did was in 1957 with Duke Ellington. And she actually worked with Duke Ellington, so you know it was like a team up. And the entire songbook series is her most critically acclaimed, her most commercially successful, and her most culturally significant body of work. Yeah, even even more than all the scatting.
1: What is scatting again? <laughs> <laughs> do it, Sam. Do the scat. No, I'm. I'm asking you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it later anyway okay. <laughs> I'm gonna get it one more time this episode
0: you just might <laughs> now in her private life she might have gotten married in 1957 to this dude named Thor Larson in Oslo what do you Norway might have well Reuters said that she did, but there's like less evidence. And then Thor immediately was sentenced to hard labor in Sweden after stealing from an ex-girlfriend and she just- Wait, I also missed this. The guy's name was Thor? Yeah, his name was Thor (laughs) Larsen. And they were dating. She'd bought an apartment in Oslo, Norway. And they might have eloped. But then Thor decided to steal from his ex-girlfriend and was sentenced to five months of hard labor in Sweden. And Ella said, I thought you knew that criminal convictions are one of my deal breakers. Just asked my first husband, and then she was <laughs> out of there.
1: Wow, so she's had two very short-lived marriages because they were criminals. That's a well, rough look.
0: Again, we don't know if she actually married him, and we don't know if they actually got divorced, so...
1: Okay, but also marriage is, like, public record. There should be, like, paperwork on that.
0: Oh god, I'm not gonna go through the Norwegian records.
1: Wow, you're really not dedicated, are you?
0: (laughs) If we had a Patreon, I would do it. But no one's paying us right now.
1: So. I'm having fun. (laughs) I'm being paid in joy. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs)
0: joy doesn't get me to comb through norwegian marriage records in the
1: 1950s (laughs) hey girl hey this is lady billy day and i'm interrupting your listening of the chaos cast and i know you're probably listening sitting back sipping your wine learning all about how we can destroy the patriarchy but i'm here to tell you about my podcast it's called history you actually wanted to know and if you've hated history in school You've come to the perfect place. You can visit me on Instagram at lady Day. That's Lady B-I-L-L-I-E Day. Or you can find me on all major streaming services. That's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you're comfortable with listening. Thanks so much and back to the episode.
0: You know, at this point she was like internationally famous. So she's making a few guest appearances on TV shows such as the Frank Sinatra Show and the Carol Burnett Show. And the Ed Sullivan Show, you know, all those shows in the 60s that were big. And- I didn't even
1: know Frank Sinatra had a show.
0: Apparently, they gave him a show for a hot minute.
1: Oh, wow.
0: um, Fun fact, despite doing a collab with like almost every other big singer of the era, she while she and Frank Sinatra did like sing together a few times, they were never able to get a recording together. Because again, music politics. That's of... too
1: bad. That'd be like an epic recording.
0: Exactly. But alas. Oh, she also had some TV commercials. The most memorable was this ad for Memorex, which is this like tape recorder, cassette tape thing. So in these commercials, she would sing a note that shatters glass while being recorded by the cassette tape. And then the tape would be played back, and the recording also broke the glass
1: yeah that's kind of cute i actually like that
0: yeah and they would ask is it live or is it memorex and yeah that was famous
1: i kind of like that i actually want to buy a memorex recorder i'm sure they don't exist anymore but yeah
0: (laughs) bring back cassette tapes
1: i actually listened to cassette tape last night
0: oh my god how'd it go
1: oh I mean, I was in my friend's like Volvo, Vol- uh, Volvo station wagon from like the year I was born or something like that, and there was a cassette player in it. And for some reason, she had a cassette of the Taylor Swift album Lover. <laughs> but she said she found it like a flea market in New Orleans. <laughs> That's amazing. To it. Every part of that story is amazing. <laughs> We listened to it while we drove to go get Persian ice cream at like 10 p.m. God. (laughs) Wait, was
0: this story you were telling, was this when you were texting me about going to your friend's house in order to, on the anniversary of her breakup date, to burn the last gift he got her?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's what we did last night. (laughs) We vandalized the tote bag, which was the last present he gave her, and then we burned it. Wow. We got ice cream.
0: Had you had a wild night last night!
1: Oh yeah, we also got- we went to happy hour before that. It was a really fun night, I'm not gonna lie. Man, why wasn't I invited, Sam? Cause you're in Wisconsin! <sighs> Fine.
0: we we'll get out of it this time. So, I mean, if
1: you want- if you come to LA, we can burn presents that ex-boyfriends have given me and get ice cream if you want.
0: Why don't you come to Wisconsin and we'll burn stuff here?
1: Well, you don't have any ex-boyfriends to burn stuff from. We can just
0: burn stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of fire.
1: Me too. I got like a little bit too into the fire. I think it concerned my friend's dad.
0: <laughs> nice. Oh, back to the famous yeah. collaboration she did. So she did it with vocal quartet Ben Kenny and the Ink Spots, which that's a cool band name. Sam, if you had a band name where it was like Sam Bordy and the X, what would it be?
1: Oh, I don't know. That's a lot of pressure to put on me right at this moment. Okay, think about
0: it. We'll get back to you. What would mine be? Hmm. Ellen Novo and the Vampire Butterflies.
1: That's a good one. I want to say it's like Sam Bordy and the Mechanics or something like that. Oh, God, you would. (laughs) I would.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that guy. also with Louis Armstrong, you know, he's pretty famous. He this is. This guitarist named Joe Pass, who I'm sure is very important in the jazz world.
1: He is. I used to be in a jazz band.
0: Oh, God. I played his
1: music once or twice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I the reason... is played jazz this, flute. You played jazz flute? In like a jazz
1: an band. anchorman? I was in a jazz band for like two years. <laughs> this was before the Arcade Fire-style indie rock band. I was also in playing the flute.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> you were in a f- rock band playing the flute?
1: Yeah. Are you ashamed of this and that's why it's never come up before? No, it's just never come up. I'm very proud of it. I was in Battle of the Bands at the um, House of Blues once. <laughs> I can't even deal with this right now.
0: (laughs) We're moving on.
1: (laughs) Okay, we'll come back to this.
0: And also with Count Basie and Duke Ellington. So, famous people. (sighs) Ella also had many critically acclaimed live albums, including Ella in Rome, and another one, Ella in Berlin, which has this Grammy Award winning song, Mack the Knife, in which she just straight up forgets the lyrics and starts improvising.
1: That's a movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think her improvisation probably went something a little like this. And that's it. You're getting no more scatting out of me.
1: I didn't even ask for it that time.
0: I was being preemptive.
1: I love it.
0: Her record company, Verb, was sold to MGM for $3 million in 1960, and $3 million is also known as a lot in 2021 dollars. And they decided not to renew her contract, but it's okay. Because Ella was like, flitting around from various records. They probably couldn't afford her, let's be honest.
1: Okay, I was like, why wouldn't you want Ella Fitzgerald?
0: Exactly. And she even started branching out a bit from jazz including one album called misty blue which was a country western album i was expecting a little more of a reaction from you with that
1: i i'm having a lot of reaction i just don't know how to verbalize it
0: (sighs) i need to hear this
1: country. like i'm assuming it's not what i think when you say country which is like Red Solo Cup pickup truck, I love my- I love
0: God No, no, like, old school 60s country. Which is like, my man left me and moved to Mexico.
1: Was that an issue? Apparently. I, I like country music, it's just not the vibe I was getting off of her.
0: You know, like, the old mournful, like, I'm sad because all this is happening. Basically like blues, but with a twang.
1: Okay, that I can understand more.
0: Yeah, okay. So unfortunately she started to have some health problems, she had her last performance in 1991. And the health problems included diabetes and heart problems. She had some kind of quintuple bypass thing, surgery. So Ooh, that's, that's not. Yeah. And in 1993, she had to have both her legs amputated below the knee. Oh, and her I eyesight started going. Yeah, diabetes will mess you up.
1: Diabetes is a really bad disease.
0: hmm. And by this point, she's spending most of her time with her son, Ray, who, you know, they'd reconciled by this point. And, and her granddaughter, Alice. So that's cute. Yeah. And she was also doing some charity work. She donated child welfare organizations. In 1993 she started the Ella Fitzgerald Charitable Foundations. She also won 18 Grammys in her life, which is impressive. That's a lot of Grammys. I yeah. know. She, in 1987, President Ronald Reagan awarded Ella the National Medal of Arts. Which, pretty cool, except for the Ronald Reagan part.
1: <laughs> she also I mean, got he was an actor so like he knew something about arts right <laughs> sure Uh,
0: yeah <gasps> Reagan classic Reagan he was in a movie with a monkey
1: I knew that yeah anyway, he's she also, also the got... governor of the state I'm currently in yeah and <laughs> You know, you know, an upsetting number of actors have been the governor of the state I'm currently in. I don't know, Arnold Schwarzenegger did a pretty good job. You weren't living here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you want to know a racist side note? Yeah, always. So, you know how Ronald Reagan was all, like, pro-guns, and I'm super Republican, all the conservatives love me. You know that mm-hmm. thing? Okay, mm-hmm. so, when he was governor... That was around the time that there were some of those Black Panther groups in California, like LA, and you know. Mm-hmm. And it freaked everyone out so bad that he actually started, like, releasing a flurry of gun control orders just to stop the Black Panthers from having guns.
1: Oh, love to see it. Yeah. Not- oh, God.
0: Yep. The history of gun control is
1: honestly fascinating, and so racist. Mm-hmm. I look forward to you telling me about it and in a hypervisitation at some point, and me being uncomfortable.
0: Oh yeah, that does sound great.
1: <laughs> All right. Ella
0: Fitzgerald received honorary doctorates from Yale, Harvard, and Dartmouth, meaning she is Doctor Fitzgerald. Ooh. But, jealous. we have come to the end of our tale. She died on oh, June 15th, no. 1996, after having a stroke at age 79.
1: So You know what? She lived a lot closer to my lifetime than I expected. Yeah! Only a few years off. That's only like, that's only like 18 months before I was born. Oh god. Yeah? I didn't think about it like that. Anyway, well, you were born in, like, 99, so there, there, you had a it's few about, more years. So yeah, it's about three years. So you're ready 96 for 96 the... is, like, the year before I was born. Okay, sorry, I'm God. just- I thought she was a lot farther back in history than that.
0: <laughs> it's like when you learn that Pablo Picasso was, like, in the 70s, and not, like- Yeah. The... <laughs> not, like, the
1: 1770s. Exactly. <laughs> you ready for a quote wall? I'm always ready for the quote wall. All right.
0: Quotes from Ella Fitzgerald. The only thing better than singing is more singing. I like it. Straightforward. (laughs) (laughs) It isn't where you came from. It's where you're going that counts. So, you know, inspiration. Where did you come
1: from? Where did you go?
0: How how dare? (laughs) (laughs) You besmirched the name of Ella Fitzgerald by referencing... Cotton Eye Joe. TikTok. One more lovely inspirational quote. <laughs> Just don't give up trying to do what you really want to do. Where there is love and inspiration, I don't think you can go wrong. So that's, that's nice. nice. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. And that is Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. Nice overview of her life. All right. Ellen, do you want to scat us out of her story? I already did three scats. It's as many scats as you get. Are you sure? Sam, I think you should scat into your hyperfixation
1: uh, I don't think that's going to happen But <laughs> I, I was going to see if I could get one more out of you
0: <laughs> I gave you a preemptive scat I'm supposed to prevent this uh, You should have known better Alright, what terrible thing are you going to torture me with for your hyperfixation this week?
1: So did you know that Pepsi had a navy? (laughs) Oh, God. The times the Soviet Union
0: exchanged a navy for cola. No! You can't already know about this! (laughs) I know everything! Now please give me the details because I don't know the whole story.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Ellen! (laughs) Well, I'm going to start from the beginning. Good. And... You're going to be excited about my story. I'm always
0: excited about your story, Sam.
1: Okay. Because way back in 1959, the United States did an exhibition of, like, American culture in the USSR. And this ex- uh, Pepsi executive named Kendall, who was the vice president of, like, the corporation in charge of marketing at the time, decided to do a booth about pepsi at the convention and like a lot of big names were there like disney was there dixie cup ibm but the pepsi booth was the most controversial at the time and so this kendall guy went to richard nixon and was like you need to make sure that one of the head guys of this ussr khrushchev went to the pepsi booth so he'd get a picture of him drinking the pepsi and this was like the biggest pr thing that pepsi ever did was this picture okay i have a couple of questions
0: yeah why was it controversial that pepsi was there were they thinking
1: coke should have been there well apparently like american the american food industry was like boycotting the event
0: oh okay so
1: that's a thing yeah
0: And this just sounds like a, this doesn't sound like American culture. It just sounds like a bunch of companies.
1: I mean, isn't that American culture?
0: God, capitalism. Yeah. Although the Soviet Union wasn't that great either. No. (sighs) Anyway. But yeah.
1: Khrushchev? On July 24th, they got this picture of Khrushchev drinking Pepsi at the booth. And so... This event ended and they had this picture and they started using it for advertising, but people in Russia remembered the Pepsi booth they were all like hey remember that soda like soda was kind of cool sugar water we kind of want that again. So the Soviet Union went to Pepsi and was like, we want some of your sugar water to sell, and so they ended up Pepsi made a deal with the Soviet Union to sell exclusively pepsi products so like coca-cola was blocked out of the market from 1972 to 1985 wow but the soviet union didn't have like money to give them and so originally the deal was that pepsi would trade the like concentrate they used to make pepsi to the soviet union for vodka i love it and then they would sell the vodka in the states (laughs) um and that worked out really well until 19- Did Russia run out of vodka? No. Okay. In 1989, in protest of the Afghan war, a lot of like people in the U.S. were protesting Soviet products, so they weren't buying Russian vodka. Oh, no. And so Pepsi went to the, the USSR and was like, we need something else. We can't make any money off of this. And so the Soviet Union was like, what if we give you some decommissioned naval vessels and you can sell them for scrap. So therefore, Pepsi became the owner of 17 submarines, three warships, a frigate, a cruiser, and a destroyer, which they were then able to sell for scrap. Aww. Um, however, it's not the end of Pepsi's naval history. Okay, wait. I'm just, I'm also, now I'm hung up on Pepsi
0: using their picture of Khrushchev drinking their product for advertisement. How, how did that even work? Like, in the United States where people were like, oh, if it's good enough for the... Oh no, uh, that wasn't
1: what they used in the US. Pepsi was very aware that they were second tier soda in the United States, but they were also very aware they, they were the only soda in the Soviet Union.
0: Okay, okay
1: um so more or less this picture was everywhere in the soviet union it's like imagine if like it's like
0: some company had a picture of kim Jong un using their product and they're trying that's to that's pretty much that. what
1: it was <laughs> also just a little bit of like fun advertising history pepsi was the f- had the first paid commercial on local tv in the ussr and it was a commercial including michael jackson
0: Amazing.
1: (laughs) Also, Pepsi was the first capitalist product sold anywhere in the USSR. Wow. Yeah. But back to Pepsi's naval history. Well, now I'm thinking about Tetris. Does Tetris count? No. Because Tetris
0: was owned by the Soviet Union, technically. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Anyway, what other Navy... Did Pepsi have?
1: Well, Pepsi was also able to get Soviet oil tankers in exchange for soda concentrate, and then was able to what? lease them out in partnership with a Norwegian company. What? Yeah. And in return for being the middleman who leased out oil tankers, they doubled the number of Pepsi plants in the Soviet Union. Huh. At the time this was happening, people joked that Pepsi was taking the Cola Wars to the high seas. Oh my god, I hate that. And at one point, Kendall, the advertising executive, joked to President George HW Bush's national security advisor that they were disarming the Soviet Union faster than the states could. (laughs) 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 So, like, just sit with that for a minute. Oh, God. And then in the year 1990, they, the Pepsi and the Soviet Union struck up a deal that would have been worth $3 billion. The Soviet Union agreed to build 10 ships for Pepsi. Why? They really <laughs> wanted that sugar water. No, why did Pepsi want 10 ships? I don't know, fam. Um... <laughs> Were
0: they going to, like... uh, They
1: can't even attack Coke, because Atlanta is, you know, (coughs) pretty landlocked. (coughs) But the thing is, in 1991, the Soviet Union fell. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And they didn't have 10 ships finished before then. Boo. Um, So the deal kind of fell apart, but the ships were in Lithuania, and they were, like, half-built, and and the new Lithuanian government wanted some money to get them out, and, like every individual company wanted their own deal with Pepsi and now Coke was allowed into the market because it wasn't a dictatorship anymore everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. so kind of Pepsi's stronghold on Russia fell apart. And also Pepsi had been there for like decades at this point and Coke was new. And so all these people were like, ah, oh, look at this new thing. We're kind of bored of Pepsi. Like, let's go drink some Coke.
0: I get you. it's Coke is new, but it's not new Coke because that was terrible.
1: Yeah, but, like, also right before the Soviet Union fell, Pepsi, like, the Pepsi company had introduced Pizza Hut into oh the Soviet Union, <laughs> but because of the way all the ingredients were sourced and things, like, the mozzarella came from one place, and the sauce came from another, and, like, all the ingredients, and, like, something came from Ukraine, and it was a whole mess, and so pretty much all of the Pizza Huts got ended up being shuttered and, like, hobbled once oh. the Soviet Union fell and pepsi pepsi stronghold on the market fell apart their partially built ships had to be stranded so like the pepsi company kind of joked that the soviet union went out of business (laughs) and like Uh. over the next few months pepsi was able to piece parts of the deal together but they had to start dealing with individual states they had 15 new company like companies or states to deal with instead of the one big one
0: yeah
1: And with Coca-Cola entering the market, like, their market share just kind of plummeted.
0: So, did you get for your hubris?
1: But they did put up two iconic billboards in Moscow, which stood until 2013. And at one point, they even launched a giant replica of a Pepsi can to the MERS space station as, like, a commercial. Cool. Um... And to this day, Russia is Pepsi's second biggest market outside of the United States. <sighs> Do you think Ella Fitzgerald drank Pepsi or Coke? Probably Coke. She was from the South. That's true. But yeah, that is how Pepsi had a Navy. And at various points, they had submarines, they had warships, they had tankers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't
0: know... I've still hung up on the commissioned 10
1: ships. I'm gonna go with those to sell. Yeah, but like, to who? Probably African governments. Oh no. Would be my guess based on the time period. Yeah. Or possibly Middle Eastern.
0: Okay. I've heard COCUS funded Colombian death squads. I'd believe it. Yeah, so you know, those soda sort of companies, up to no good. But
1: yeah. Pepsi had a Soviet navy, so Good for them I guess. I just I didn't know this until a couple days ago and I was like, You've gotta be kidding me. And then I looked it up and I was like, No, they had a full navy at various points. Yeah. And I well, I didn't know
0: how like pro-having-a-navy they were. (laughs) I assumed that the deal went something like, alright, give us your sugar water, and we'll- all we can pay you with is a bunch of ships. And they're like, alright, fine. But no! They requested ships!
1: Yeah, no, they were like, your vodka's worth nothing. Give us a navy.
0: (laughs) all right. Well. Sam, what did you learn today?
1: I learned about Ella Fitzgerald and that her life actually wasn't, I like, expected to be more tragic, probably because we just did Marilyn Monroe, but like, wasn't that tragic. That's true. Just was like, like she had a really nice life.
0: Yeah, she had like the, you know, semi-tragedies of the beginning. Yeah. And then she was able to turn it around.
1: Like, she lived to a nice old age. She had mm-hmm. a kid and a grandkid who loved her. Like, yeah. there were some bumps and br- bruises in the road there, but, like, it seems like she had a nice life.
0: Yeah, she had at least two, maybe three marriages.
1: Hmm. Yeah. You know, you love to see it. You love to see a happy-ish ending for some of these women because <laughs> they don't really get happy endings very much. No. So, Ellen, what did you learn?
0: I learned that Pepsi was, like, uncomfortably pro-navy. <laughs> and also the like leader of pepsi went to vice president nixon and specifically asked him (laughs) to make sure khrushchev drank pepsi which is also absurd
1: (laughs) if you think about it yeah but like also something a corporation would do
0: yeah, and I'm st- I still want to know what their plans with the ships were.
1: I'm pretty sure it was to sell them. Yeah, but that's sketchy as hell. Oh, I mean, all of this is sketchy as hell. They literally took war submarines as payment for soda water. <laughs> 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 like, they weren't even giving them, like, bottled soda. They were just giving them the concentrate, and then it was bottled in Russia. <laughs> at their booth, at the, like... American culture convention or whatever, they had two different, like, Pepsi dispensers. One that was Pepsi made with American water and one that was Pepsi made with Russian water. That's cute. You can try <laughs> to You see if you taste the difference. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm.
0: You know that Nixon and Khrushchev once had a debate in a, in a model home kitchen? Yes, it was at the
1: convention. Oh, it was, it was at, at this thing! the same thing. convention, yeah. Oh! That was the same... American Culture Convention.
0: Ah, and then afterwards, Nixon pulls him aside and is
1: like, drink some Pepsi. No, literally, that's what happened. Like, the pictures are within an hour of each other.
0: Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Alright, well. I've definitely learned some more history. (laughs) (gasps) We also learned that you, for some reason, very much enjoy making me... Do jazz scat.
1: Don't yeah, do you want to scat us out from the episode? No, we have our own exit m- outro music. But like, you could scat into the outro music. That's not how it works. <laughs> what if What if I do our plugs and then you scat for me again? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Just do the plugs. Okay. okay. Well. You can find us on our socials. We're at Chaos Podcast on Instagram. We're at underscore Chaos Podcast on Twitter. And if you want to send us an email, we're at chaospodcast21 at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Or you can send us five star Apple Podcast reviews, which you know would really warm our hearts. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed the chaos. Safe
0: travels. And boop, 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 boop.
1: Yeah, you did it again. Bye-bye. Bye.